The truth is every culture is unique. So having done this for a long time, sometimes it makes sense to work with the leaders of the organization. And largely that's true because the leaders of the organization are so influential to everyone else. However, it's incumbent upon everyone to start to foster this, hey, work's different now. Life's different now. I need to evolve as a person independent of my organization and just be fostering that kind of practice ongoing all the time. And then if your organization meets you where you are, which we highly recommend, then that means you get to do it together. But sometimes leaders and organizations are progressive and they're sort of battening down the hatches and trying to weather the storm. The only problem is that strategy will not help in this dynamically unfolding world. You have to be able to surf the waves, not get washed over, crashed upon. Welcome to the Innovation and in Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. You're in for a treat today. The reason being, I'm in for a treat because I have Alex Schwartz and Nate Thompson who have one of the most interesting business models and origin stories about everything else I've heard of recently. So, Jez, first of all, welcome and thank you guys so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having It's a distinct pleasure to be here with you. We're super excited to have this conversation. So I'm going to start with you, Alex. Could you tell us your professional background? And then, Nate, after that, if you could jump in. Absolutely. So I spent a stint working in talent management and helping actors and actresses find their way. And after I realized that I did not want to leave New York to move to Hollywood, I spent over a decade working in digital marketing, consulting, and overall digital transformation solutions for Fortune 500 companies. Did that out of New York. And the key thing that I learned in all of that time was that in spite of the great solutions that we were coming up with, there was such a fascination with what technology can do and not nearly enough of a focus on how to help individuals sort of navigate all the change that they were experiencing and how to really think much more about culture and making work better for people, which led us to the, the work we're doing now. And I started out as an engineer. I was an engineer at Qualcomm and I love technology. The internet was blowing up at that time and we were launching the first internet programs. And I, I loved that. But one of the things that was happening to me is I was going through a personal transformation. I had gone through a life crash where I lost two very good friends to a drinking and driving accident. My brother had a traumatic brain injury in a car accident, all of them not wearing seatbelts. And then I wasn't handling that well. And I had a one night stand, one night, one time unplanned pregnancy. And the reason that matters to this story is all that happened in a very short period of time, which caused me to go through a personal transformation. And I was trying to reinvent me and figure out how do I get my life back on track? Well, a lot of the tools that I was studying personally, in addition to academically, were about transformation and this idea of people can reinvent themselves. You can change your life. And in the same way, you can reinvent your business. You can change your business. And so I kind of fell in love with that kind of transformation work and left technology proper to just start to understand what does it look like to have organizational leadership, organizational change, organizational psychology, and how do you help organizations reinvent? So I've been doing that for about 20 years now. So how did you guys get connected? I just want to add that all of that background that Nate shared prepared him gave him a lot of grit and resilience and enabled him to be business partners with me. So that's, that's what all that was for. <laughs> To deal with uh, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
We met through a very close and dear personal friend of both of ours, one of my closest friends from college who went through the Navy engineering program there, ended up becoming a nuclear engineer on a Navy sub, and then ultimately went on to McKinsey and doing some really important work in consulting and cultural transformation, whereby he encountered Nate during his time at Oppenheimer Funds. And he got the two of us together at lunch one day and said, you guys both are very interested in the future of work. You're very interested in in what's happening and how this is affecting everybody and looking at it from a human-centered scope. You guys should talk. And talk we did. And then in March of 2020, we launched our business and our platform. Perhaps one of the most ubiquitous maxims is the only constant thing is change. But what my observation was during the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, the pace of change has greatly speeded up. Obviously, lots of factors for that. And I'm going to point to two in the last few months, leaving aside any regulatory issues that may have caused these. FTX, the world's second largest cryptocurrency broker, collapsed in a matter of days. And last week, Silicon Valley Bank, which 11 days before had received a clean bill of health and a financial audit from KPMG collapsed and has now been taken over by the Fed. So at this pace of change, how can you help companies, number one, prepare for it, but more importantly, from your both of your personal transformations, how do you help employees just deal with it? I think that's such a smart observation. And it really is the fundamental crux of this. In fact, Tom, we are at the slowest period right now that we will ever be going forward. In other words, right now today, life is going really fast and it's only going to get faster, like significantly faster. And so for anyone right now who's feeling like this is already faster than I can handle, it's actually not about trying to go out and find some tool or it's definitely not about trying to just hustle harder. You're not going to outpace an algorithm. You're not going to out hustle artificial intelligence. It's not possible. So what Alex and I like to talk about is stepping back before that to the precursor. And the precursor is called your mindset. The way that you're even thinking about the world today has to start to evolve. And the future of work mindset is our intellectual property is something that we created. It's really based around this idea of exploring, expanding, and evolving. If the world's changing around you at the fastest pace in human history, and you know it's only going to get faster from here, then it's incumbent upon all of us to step back and just go, hang on a second, I got to change the way I'm doing this so that I can prepare, navigate, and thrive. What would you add, Alex? I think that's a good summary. I would add, I mean, listen, we do not advise banks on their balance sheets and we do not make speculative bets in cryptocurrency as part of what we do, Tom. So in those areas, we're not going to be very good advisors. But in helping people think about how to meet this moment, a lot of people want the quick answer, right? Because things are changing so fast, because people feel so much fear and anxiety, it's what industries are safe? What are the skills I need to learn? Where should I be working? What's that new company that I need to know about where maybe I should be sending my application in? Am I, is the company that I'm in, does it even make sense to stay here? And the bigger point about the future of work mindset is it's stepping back to kind of assess and understand what do I need to learn? How do I need to meet this moment? What are the skills that I need to look at within myself 
that are really powerful that I can develop that will give me an edge when I'm looking at technology? What are the skills as a leader that I need to begin to flex because I understand that employee needs have drastically changed since the pandemic and people are voting with their feet and leaving companies in droves? How do I make my culture stickier? And on top of that, how do I at my core build that level of resilience to meet all of the uncertainty that we're all feeling on a continuous basis. I think one of the things that's really frustrating for people right now is that we all thought we'd get through the pandemic and we would get a break, right? We'd get through this thing and we'd breathe this collective sigh of relief and life would start to feel normal and a little bit easier. And it hasn't really, I think, for most people. Certainly it's hasn't for me. Yeah. And it's not going to. So finding a way to continue on a daily basis to have practices and ways of being that allow you to get up and show up and continue to stay open and curious instead of resist everything that's happening. And also understand that everybody's going through this. We have a lot of key takeaways, a lot of various ways we can help people, but you got to stay open. You got to stay curious. The reason I picked the Silicon Valley bank example is to lead to the following question. I have before that failure, thought that social media was largely about the amplification of voices, that one voice could find many voices and they might find comfort or advocacy within that numbers. So the amplification component of social media. But in the Silicon Valley Bank failure, I saw something else, which was the speed of change because of social media. So the 11 days that I mentioned of clean audit health to failure and really demonstrated to me the speed of which social media can bring change. When you sit down with a corporation, do you build from the individual employee building block up, or do you start with the top and sort of build down to help people begin to not only prepare for that change individually, but from a business process perspective, how do you help a company become more resilient, become able to do business as usual when, oh, a $20 billion bank failed. Okay. What's tomorrow? The truth is every culture is unique. So having done this for a long time, sometimes it makes sense to work with the leaders of the organization. And largely that's true because the leaders of the organization are so influential to everyone else. However, it's incumbent upon everyone to start to foster this hey, work's different now, life's different now, I need to evolve as a person independent of my organization and just be fostering that kind of practice ongoing all the time. And then if your organization meets you where you are, which we highly recommend, then that means you get to do it together. But sometimes leaders and organizations are progressive and they're sort of battening down the hatches and trying to weather the storm. The only problem is that strategy will not help in this dynamically unfolding world, you have to be able to surf the waves, not get washed over, crashed upon. So a couple of things, Tom, about what you just said is leaders have to have a different kind of a conversation now. So this idea of the future work, leaders need to be talking to their employees about it. And they actually need to start to build structures that drive behaviors. What do I mean by that? Well, you have to start to build future work programs you have to start to build strategy and innovation programs. You have to be able to launch new capabilities inside of the organization. You have to be able to create new talent mobility inside of the organization. So this is a really practical example. Talent fluidity 
in the new world says, I'm going to grab talent from wherever I need to inside of the organization and move that talent and deploy it to solve problems right now. The old model of work says, hey, I'm a leader. I own this talent. No one's going to get access to this talent. This talent is mine. I will not offer this talent to the rest of the organization. That's called talent hoarding. And inside of a stagnant organization, you used to be able to do things like that. But in a dynamically unfolding organization, instead, you have to just look at your talent landscape and say, I need this and this and this to solve this problem right now. Let's go. And artificial intelligence is really giving us that promise of unlocking talent pools in an exciting new way. So bringing it back to your question is, yes, leaders have to start to think differently. They need to engage with their organization differently. Employees have to join that movement so that they can work together to start to reinvent their organization. And we, Alex and I fundamentally believe any organization that's not having a different kind of conversation in this moment is at the risk of ending up on the wrong side of history. So you made a very astute observation. You said social media is here as a very rapid catalyst for change. And therefore, what do leaders and organizations need to do if they're subject in some ways to the same rules or pace of change as social media? Is that right? Yes. So I think there's an element of being proactive that we all need to get our arms around. What you saw at Silicon Valley Bank moment people heard about this, people rushed to get their money out because all these folks in Silicon Valley had large deposits. A lot of startups had large deposits and they were scared that the FDIC wouldn't insure their money. So in the same way, leaders need to think about anything that could rattle their workforce or rattle their business and get way out ahead of it. We've been looking a lot recently at the trend of layoffs and just published a podcast episode actually today about layoffs. And we talked about some of the ways that leaders are underserving the right communication around layoffs and how that that can be very corrosive to a culture if you don't handle it well. For example, back in January, Microsoft laid off 10,000 employees, about 5% of its workforce. And it did so in a fairly empathetic and thoughtful way. Satya Nadella, who's a great leader, really embraces mindset and Carol Dreck's growth mindset done a lot to foster culture, wrote this sort of beautiful letter, kind of reframing it as an opportunity, letting people know that they were going to be taken care of. All of that was great. At the same time, they had Sting performing at Davos the night before and had made a $10 billion investment in ChatGPT. So anybody that got that nice letter probably didn't feel so good about it under those circumstances of people partying and having a good time at Davos. I'm not saying they did anything wrong per se. I'm saying that the timing and the thoughtfulness wasn't there. So how you think about these things, whatever it may be that could alienate or disrupt your culture, or let's say you're rolling out a new technology and you need to get ahead of how do you do it thoughtfully because you know there's going to be layoffs or you know there's going to be upskilling, reskilling of your employee base people need to be ahead of these things and need to lead with empathy and thoughtfulness because we are in a moment where people will vote with their feet and they'll be out the door and culture can change. And time. it will be highly visible. Everybody's going to see it and everybody's going to know about it in the same day. Well, you pick up on your phrase, Alex, vote with your feet, because I've heard several commentators over the past few months say something along the lines of the following, that talent acquisition and talent retention be the most important things for corporations into 2030 and beyond. What are you guys seeing around those issues? Is that a fair assessment or do you guys see something else? 
100% fair assessment. We are in a global job shortage. We're certainly in a job shortage or talent shortage here in the United States, even though the employment numbers look reasonably strong. People are having a lot of trouble finding roles. We are moving from a skills and pedigree-based hiring system, we believe, to one much more focused on how people learn. This is a fundamental shift that we are seeing, that because skills are changing so fast, that how you learn and how you adapt can actually be more important than what degree or skill you have, because it's quite possible that the job that you're going to have in six months versus the one that you're entering the door in hasn't even been invented yet. This is a big idea. The other thing that leaders and companies are going to really need to get their arms around is this is beyond work from anywhere. This is higher from anywhere. So it's not just employees that you have that are full-time employees, but you need to start thinking about part-time employees, contractors, gig workers. We're going to have a much more blended workforce where people are going to be wearing different hats and you have to, as a leader, understand what are the need states of that rock star gig worker that I have and how do I let them rise up and lead even if they're part-time because they're the best person in this role on my team and I have to empower them. So this is something that we've been thinking about quite a lot. I think retention and company culture is going to rule the roost. We've seen a huge rise in mental health issues at work, a huge rise in burnout, a huge rise in people looking for more purposeful work and to be more connected to their work. Company cultures need to honor that. The old methodology of command and control, like Nate likes to say, that is over. There's a mutuality. There's a concept of if I'm going to the office, it's no longer I just do it because that's what I did before the pandemic. I need a bigger why of why I'm actually showing up in the office versus why I'm Zoom. People really want to understand these things. So the needs are changing. The way that we hire is changing. The way that employees learn is changing, the skills are changing, and the talent pool is changing. All of the above. And there's one other thing to add there. The technology is changing. So in the past, applicant tracking systems would grab a resume and bump that resume up against keywords. We've just entered an era where artificial intelligence is going to start to identify much, much more about talent pools and unlock talent pools that we never, ever thought of. So here's an example. Artificial intelligence can grab huge data sets, internal and external, paid and free, and start to analyze those data sets at scale to find talent anywhere. This is going to change the way talent works in the world. So you're going to start to see people in talent pools that you never imagined become available to you. It's like finding needles in the haystack all the time. Now, these technologies are on the cusp. It's just starting to roll out, but it's artificial intelligence in talent. And we had Alexandra Levitt. We just helped her launch her new book called Deep Talent. It is talking about this very thing with Eightfold.ai. Alexandra is a correspondent at the Wall Street Journal and runs one of their future of work columns. And it was amazing to speak with her. And I think she, to Nate's point, really is double clicking on this idea that AI is going to help us reimagine who we can be and help employers see much more broadly who they might reskill, upskill, or future skill in their role based on previous experience in a way that, that was never before possible because these skills adjacencies are now being brought to light by the AI. Change the focus just a little bit and ask you, when you sit down with a prospective client or a new client, who are you talking to? Are you talking to 
a head of HR, are you talking to a CEO, perhaps a board of directors, or some other corporate discipline? Who are you sitting down across the table with? It really depends. So we just started working with a large furniture manufacturer distributor, and it was a head of product. The head of product came to us and said, hey, we love what you guys are doing because we need to change the way that we're engaging with our customers and strategic partners around product because the workplace, the way that we work, where we sit, where we go, this idea of a network of places is changing so fast. Can you talk with our people about the future work? So that was a very different entry point than what might be a learning and development, head of learning and development, who's saying, hey, I need to get my employees ahead of this, head of HR. The way that the employee experience is being handled is fundamentally changing. That's different. Another big piece is strategic initiatives. If an organization is trying to get ahead of all this dynamic change, they might have a head of strategic initiatives. And then certainly the CXO or the C-suite, where those folks are talking about macro disruptors and they want to have someone come in and help foster a conversation. There is no silver bullet, Tom, but it is fostering a conversation to go, where do we want to place our bets on this conversation? Let me ask a few questions about your podcast because you guys seem committed to the podcast format. So are you using it to demonstrate thought leadership? Are you using it for business development or a variety of other reasons or some of the above or none of the above? We are using it to share our own voice and insights about the future of work, about how this moment is changing everything. We are using it to identify thought leaders whose voices we want to amplify, some who are known, and some who are unknown. But ultimately, it's helping people to prepare, navigate, and thrive through these insights. It very much comes from a place of wanting to be of the greatest service, of wanting to ensure that people don't get lost or get stuck, because it's very easy to kind of take the ostrich head in your sand approach to this moment and say, you know, I'm just going to ignore this. But if you ignore this, you will be kind of run over by these waves of disruption, we believe, and try to wake people up and really lead them through. Gents, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any more information on yourselves, on the disrupted workforce, or really any of the topics we touched on in this podcast, what would be the best place or places for them to go? A good spot to start is disruptedwork.com. That's our website. You can find our podcast on any of the major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple. And then YouTube is another great place to see some of the video clips of our episodes. We always record audio and video for full episodes, so we release that content on a biweekly basis. Alex, if a listener wanted to get in touch with you or Nate, what would be the best way for them to do so? They can find us on LinkedIn for sure. That's We hang out there a lot. We post a lot of content and opinions and thought leadership in there and interact heavily with our LinkedIn community. Well, gents, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. I really am interested in what you guys are doing and what your guys are bringing to the workforce. I'm going to sit down and figure out how to tie this all into regulatory compliance. So I hope we can continue this conversation. We would love to. Thank you, Tom. Can't wait. Thank you. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review. 